John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. And Sean Salisbury joins us. And so, Sean, the big news today, Tua, during the bye week, is now going to get the start for the Miami Dolphins. Nobody knew when that was going to happen. Most people thought it might be somewhere in maybe November as opposed to late October. And so uh, what's your thoughts on that decision? And they're 3-3 three and three right now. They're not a real good football team, but at least they have a 500 record. But Tua coming in uh, to a... You know, a, a young offensive line, a team that doesn't have a lot at the receiver position and a shaky running game. How do you think he can do? Good. We'll test him. He's, he's physically more gifted right now than than uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And Fitz has seen both. He understands what being a starter and a backup is. And I think we know what we get with him. And the truth of the matter is they're not even out of the playoff picture yet. So it's a gutsy move. But you know what? He, Fitzpatrick, and I think everybody in that organization knows that they got a number one. Find out about Tua in in difficult circumstances. He gets two weeks to prepare, but you know what? You come in at a team that's not loaded. This is what we find out. We're finding a lot out about Joe Burrow. We are finding a ton out about him. Not a real good team. An offensive line that gets him beat up, and the guy still has him scrambling around and competing. And that's what we got to find out with Tua. And he's smart. He's got high football IQ. Let him learn on the run. I I I. I subscribe to, to to letting them learn from mistakes. I saw Aikman and Manning and Elway. I saw a lot of guys do that that turned out to be great. And if he loses confidence, then I should have drafted him with the fifth pick anyway. So as long as he's healthy and can get him out of the huddle, I don't have a problem with it. Because we know he's their future, and Fitz is there. Fitz has been a starter and a backup. He understands his role to be a great teacher. Uh, I would have said it one and three or one and four do it. I don't have a problem with the timing. Three and three, they're close. It's a little suspect because they're in the playoff hunt, but that ought to tell you what they think about Tua's physical ability to make throws that maybe Fitz can't. I like it. I like the move, and I like the confidence, and I like the fact that he's going to have to learn on the run. I'm good with that. Okay, and of course, let's get going with four downs. First down. They blew out the Packers on Sunday, so are the Bucks on the same level as Seattle and Green Bay on the list of NFC contenders? Oh, I think that they're better than Green Bay. They proved that it was a a complete beatdown all the way around, and they they and that's about as bad as you'll see Aaron Rodgers play. Which I feel bad for the Houston Texans that have to face an irritated, pissed off uh, Aaron Rodgers this week. But yeah, they were my pick to. It came down. To, I had my NFC Championship game with Seattle against uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, at the beginning of the season. So yeah, they they are now. Once their offense continues to roll, but their defense showed me something. Their front seven. If they continue to play like that and are aggressive and get after it, they're going to pose a lot of problems. And I think they're only going to get better. And I think Brady and the system's only going to get better. There's no doubt in my mind. To me, there's three teams in the NFC, and then the Saints are cut below. And there's some teams that have to catch up. Tampa Bay is one of them. Do not be surprised. And they know how to play, does Brady, in January. This team's going to be hanging around in January, and Seattle's probably their biggest obstacle in the NFC, in my opinion. Yeah, and of course, I mean, as big of a story it is with Tom Brady going down there, the bigger story right now is the coaching of Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator. You know, it took him a half the season to really establish what he was going to do on defense. 
and what he was. He set up the best run-stopping unit in the National Football League last year, and his blitz packages were just sensational. And I think he's put himself in head coach category right now. But the blitzes he put on Aaron Rodgers, threw Aaron Rodgers off with the interceptions and really did a great job. And so now you have the combination of Tom Brady, uh, an offense that's still got a lot of talent. I can I still contend that you know once they get everybody completely healthy, you know this group is more talented than what some of the ones that he had back in New England. And a defense like this, I mean, they're they're right in the mix right now. And certainly going up and beating Green Bay the, the way that they did in a nice home game that was huge. Second down. Three undefeated teams left between Seattle, Pittsburgh, and Tennessee. Which one of those is the best remaining undefeated team? Well, I'd go with the MVP of the league, Russ Wilson, right now, just because um, offensively, as far as the guy you'd have to stop the most in January. I'm not so sure of those three teams that we mentioned, that the two AFC teams aren't as competitive now. It's going to come all three of, I mean, Tannehill's production of quarterback, Ben's back. I love their defense the most in the Pittsburgh Steelers. If you're talking about the most well-rounded team, it's Pittsburgh. They can run it. They can throw it. They've got home run hitters, and their defense is better than the other two. Tennessee's red zone defense must get better. And we've seen some of the things Seattle's defense is. So well-rounded, uh, Pittsburgh. But I think Russ Wilson brings so much to the table that that it kind of changes the game. But I'm telling you, people are going to blink in the way they run the football, if they get better on red zone defense, and the way Tannehill's playing, do not be shocked. They are dangerous to not only Pittsburgh, but also to Kansas City and the AFC. Tennessee, Pittsburgh the most well-rounded, but I trust what Russ Wilson the most. So there you have it. It's one of the three, but I'll take the team who's looked at as the best in Seattle. But the most well-rounded team right now is the Pittsburgh Steelers with Tennessee pretty close. Yeah, of course, it did hurt that they lose Devin Bush with an ACL injury because yep. he's so good at the linebacker position. A, a move that they made last year, trading a number one pick, moving from 20 to 10th pick. And when they moved up, that was huge. And, of course, they made the trade for Mika Fitzpatrick giving up a number one pick. So that looked really good. But overall, what you like about uh, Seattle being, I think, the team still the number one team is, you're right, it's Russell Wilson. Their offense has been really good. You know, They've won five games so far. It's the first 5-0 and start. And so Tennessee, what's remarkable about them is that you have Derrick Henry right now as maybe the best running back in football today. But how about the numbers for Ryan Tannehill? In 15 starts, he's got almost 4,000 yards, 69.6% completion, and has 35 touchdown passes in his first 15 starts. And what's amazing, five fourth-quarter comebacks and two games where he's had game-winning drives. Really good, but Seattle, I think, number one. Which team did we learn more about on Sunday night, the 49ers or the Rams? Um. I I think the Rams. I, we might have over. I mean, I I don't I didn't know if the Rams were as good as four and one, and what Sean McVay's done is is impressive. But I still think they're going to be competitive because they are when they're hitting it right. But they're they're a streaky team. They could actually lose a couple in a row. But Sean McVay knows how to call a game, and he is a great football coach. Considering that outside of about three or four guys, he has to invent some weapons, but. I think we found out more about San Francisco, who's been through a bunch of injuries, because this is more who they were. I went into last week and, and on one of my shows, and I said, if they run the ball 30 to 35 times, 
if they control Aaron Donald and do not let his game get, name get mentioned much on the broadcast, and if Jimmy will stand in there and they will keep him upright, we'll learn that the 49ers, this is closer to the 49ers we expected, even with all those injuries. And they ran the football 37 times, so their balance was phenomenal. I think we learned more that the 49ers aren't ready to go away and be pushed by the wayside than we did about the Rams. Because I think the Rams are going to hang around and be a threat. But I think when all is said and done, the physicality of the 49ers will win out. I think we learned more about the 49ers and their and their uh, resilience as a football team. Yeah, I would agree with that because what you're looking at is that they were so down and even got more injuries. Like you know, they lose Raheem uh, Moster and he's going to go with a high ankle sprain and go on injured reserve. You know, they had uh, Trent Williams; he was in concussion protocol, and you know they had so many injuries on the defensive line and secondary and all those things. But I think it just showed that they can come back and do some good things. And you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, where a week ago people were starting to say, "Hey, are they going to keep? Are they going to get rid of him?" No, I think he gutted it out, did enough good things you know throwing for over what 260 some yards i thought that was good and then i think the creativity of kyle shanahan really came through particularly with the jet sweeps and all those different things so yeah i think we learned more about the 49ers and we also learned that uh, you know if you go four and zero against the nfc east and everybody's thinking at four and one that the rams are one of the best teams in football well they're not there yet but they're still going to hang around as you say and do well fourth down should the NFL consider reseeding teams in the playoffs if one finishes with a better record than a division winner? You know, I've pondered this a lot over the years. It takes me back, and what prevents me from saying yes is it takes me back to the Saints coming to, to Seattle. Drew Brees, their team, had, had, had a better record. Seattle won the division at 7-9. and nine. Uh, New Orleans came into the building, and a 7-9 and Seattle Seahawks team beat them. Now, I understand that it's reseeded. You know, they'd have the home game. But, you know what, I, 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 we don't need to fix everything. There's a part of me that when you look at the NFC says, how in the hell are they worthy of hosting a playoff game against a team that is better than them from another division? That's just kind of the way things work. It's like when you get the schedule. Sometimes you're playing bad teams out of your out of your division, and sometimes you're not. It just it's seasonal. So I get it. I'm okay with it. If they did it, it's fine. But you know what? Sometimes every now and again, if you got a good quarterback, who's to say Wentz can't get hot in a game if they go to the playoffs and beat a team that has a better record? So sometimes it's the luck of the draw. I don't think it's broke, so I don't think you have to fix it. But I understand why wild card teams, but that's just the way it is. And usually, it doesn't usually happen that way. Division winners are usually pretty good, and all those teams are competitive. But uh, I'm okay with the way it is because of there has been times when uh, we've seen the team that's come with a better record and get beat by the team with the worst record. But, you know, if they change it, I'm good. But I, I don't mind it the way it is, John. It sends another message that win your division or you've got to go on the road. Pretty simple. Yeah, and I, I, I'd stay by it, too. I don't think there should be a change. And you can see for several reasons. One, of course, you know, it's tradition. And they also, you only have six division games. If you start to take away that ability on the to win the division type of thing, then all of a sudden what you're looking at is that it could affect ratings and all that stuff. And say what you want. The NFC East is the worst division in the history of football what 215 and one against uh, in non-division games worst in history of football but what was the one of the highest rated games this year on tv 
Dallas and the New York Giants. If you take away the right. ability to have those six games in the division uh, where they mean so much, then I think you're taking away something from the game that shouldn't be taken away from. But all, all I know, Sean, is that it's great to be able to be in the division with you and, of course, uh, on four downs. And, of course, we'll chat on Friday. I look forward to it, John. Thanks, buddy. All right, thank you. Hey, you can listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to get out the report card. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's time for the report card with the professor. In the report card we get out each day, we look at the good, the bad, the ugly, the smart, the stupid, what people say, what people do. We take the stories, we take the anecdotes, social media comments, and voices, and of course, uh, we attach a grade to it. Curtis Rogers gives us the report card. So, Curtis, what do we have? John, let's get started on today's report card with a, a baseball name. He's not a player, not a coach, but a former GM that has had himself a rough 2020. That'd be former Astros GM Jeffrey Lunau, who gave his first comments since being dismissed back all the way back in January. It's hard to, with all that's gone on in 2020, John, mm-hmm. it's still crazy to remember that the whole banging scheme was found out earlier this season, uh, just a long, long time ago, it feels like. Well, Jeffrey Lunau gave an interview to a Houston-area news station yesterday, and as you can imagine, with somebody that was fired in disgrace, he is uh, willing to throw anybody under the bus. Here's what Jeffrey Luno had to say about there still being cheaters in the Astros organization. The people who were involved that didn't leave naturally to go to other teams are all still employed by the Astros. In fact, one of the people who was uh, intimately involved, um, I had demoted from a position in the in the clubhouse to a position somewhere else and after I was fired, he was promoted back into the clubhouse. So none of those people faced any repercussions. They weren't discussed in the report, uh, but the evidence is all there that they were involved. Luno then added that he does admit to the Astros cheating in 2017 and also 2018. Um, the reality is the, the Astros cheated uh, in 2017. Um, and and cheated a little bit uh, again in 2018 using just the decoder method, and um, and it was wrong. How do you cheat just a little bit, John? Cheating is cheating. Like you, you can't just cheat a tiny bit. They they broke the rules at every single turn. How are we grading though, Jeffrey Lunau? Uh, pretty much willing to air out any and all grievances he has with the Astros. Yeah, here. I think I'll give him a D. <clears throat> I'm happy that at least you know. He's because you, you have some of the Astros that hardly will even admit that something wrong happened. And particularly when they were getting back and almost getting to the World Series. I mean, you can see it's like, OK, well, you people, you look what you're doing to us. Well, guess what? It's a mess. It's horrible. And uh, you know, I give him credit for talking about it. But I guess overall, I give him a D. Yeah, if he wants to go ahead and admit anything else, I'm all ears. Like, I will gladly listen. And, and people in these kinds of spots, people who have nothing to lose by, by speaking out, very rarely are lying about what's going on. So if he wants to continue to do this, go right ahead. But uh, he would not be in this position and, and in the first place if the Astros simply hadn't cheated. I, I give him a D- minus, uh, just because, look, you were in charge of everything. You could not have been blind to what's going on. And uh, if you want to, con- if you want to throw guys under the bus after the fact, uh, go right ahead. But it's not a good look. Uh, but yeah, 
the Astros were so, so tired of them. And uh, it looks like they're going to be losing some free agents here over the next year or so. So hopefully they're no longer competing at a high level. Well, i t- tell you what you think about that. If the Astros do lose free agents, which they probably will, and uh, Billy Bean is no longer with the uh, A's, I mean, how much better is that going to look for Seattle's baseball team? I'm thinking it's looking real good because the Rangers and Angels don't pose any threat at this at this current moment in time. Things are looking on the up and up, John. It's I, it's crazy to think, but it could be true. Also uh, in the news yesterday, the success of the match over the summer with Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Tiger Woods, and Phil Mickelson uh, looks like they're going to try it again on Thanksgiving weekend, but with a few different names thrown in there. Phil Mickelson, he'll return. Uh, he'll have a new partner, though. He will not be paired with Tom Brady uh, he'll be paired with one Charles Barkley. He of Oof. the worst golf swing of all Oof. time. And, and Peyton Manning will be joined by Golden State Warriors point guard, former NBA MVP, Steph Curry, who is actually a pretty good golfer in his own right. I believe he tried to qualify for the U.S. Open a couple of years ago. Uh, so, John, how are we grading this foursome of Phil Mickelson, Charles Barkley, taking on Steph Curry and Peyton Manning? Mm, I'm going to give it a a C. I mean, I like the big names, and certainly, I mean, it's going to be great for animation and everything else. But, I mean, if you're having Charles Barkley rely on trying to win something, and even even Mickelson, too, I mean, he hasn't hasn't done well of late himself. I'm going to to give it a C. It's not the same. Uh, I'm going to give it a B-. Uh, We know that Charles is definitely going to be wagering on each hole. That's just something he, he loves to do. Phil's got a good sense of humor. Peyton Manning's definitely got a good sense of humor. I think Steph Curry also has a pretty good sense of humor. It could be some good banter, maybe more so than there would be with Tom Brady and Tiger Woods out there, two guys who are just ultra, ultra competitive, uh, people, but, yeah, that foursome going to be an interesting one taking place the Friday of Thanksgiving weekend. So I guess uh, keep your eyes and ears peeled for that one. Also, John, on the report card today, we got the news right before the show started that the Dolphins have named Tua Tagovailoa as their starting quarterback for the remainder of the 2020 season. He's only thrown two pass attempts. How are we grading this move with the Dolphins just a game out of first place in the AFC East? I'm going to give it a B. I, I, I still wonder what the thinking of it was. Uh, of course, we haven't had the press conferences or anything else. It's the bye week and all those different things. Uh, I guess, you know, I would say, and this is probably wrong, is that uh, what what do you have to lose? It's like, well, games. Because if he's not ready, and they know he didn't wow them in training camp, but uh, it was going to happen eventually, and I guess they wanted to have the bye week later, but, of course, they had to move it up because of COVID and all the games rearranged. So in the end, I guess it's okay, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, I'll give it. Uh, I'll give it a C plus. It was bound to happen eventually. Yeah. You don't take a quarterback that high these days and sit him an entire season. It just doesn't happen anymore. So, the Dolphins wanted to see what they got in their investment from Tua, and why not now? You know, put them in the thick of a playoff race. The Dolphins all of a sudden are playing for something meaningful. So hopefully, uh, Tua has some success. Uh, yeah, but Ryan Fitzpatrick, he wasn't doing bad. It just they got to see what they have in yeah. Tua. And then finally, John, on the report card, uh, college football brings out the crazy fans and one in SEC country over the weekend uh, may have taken the cake, at least for the time being. And that'd be courtesy of this Tennessee Volunteers fan. Tennessee got blown out at home by the University of Kentucky, uh, 34-7. to And this Tennessee fan calling into the postgame show, he had himself a rough, rough game day. Which is? 
I messed up, threw a beer bottle through my window, and my wife let me. You really did throw a beer bottle through your window? Yeah, and I don't even drink. I, I had two beers. I wasn't even drunk. I just, I can't stand to watch this team anymore. I can't do it. No, and I, I apologized to her and told her, honey, Tennessee football done this. I didn't do it. <laughs> How are we grading this Tennessee fans uh, game day, John? Uh, it's, uh, he'll get an F. You know, for first off, it's like, I don't drink, but he had two beers. Well, that means he drank, right? Exactly. That's that's not good. You lose your wife, and again, the tennis, you know, what? Because obviously, this isn't a one-time thing. But uh, you know, to be able to to lose your wife over a Tennessee football game, that's pretty bad. So I'm giving him an F. Yeah, not worth it. Not worth it, man. That's an F all around. Uh, hopefully, he's since apologized and and has gotten a, in, in control of things. But. Yeah, mm. rough day for him, rough day for the volunteers. That is it for today's report card, John. Okay, and of course, uh, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes at 710sports.com. Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're going to go on the Vizzy Hard Seltzer text line at 710-710. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. We are taking your text questions on the Busy Hard Seltzer text line. Text us at 710-710. Curtis, what do we have? 253 wants to know, John, is Luke Wilson in danger of being cut with Colby Parkinson about to return? Yeah, could be. I mean, that's possible, and uh, certainly you can see the timetable. But also what it does mean, too, is that uh, if there's a value trade that they can maybe get for Jacob Hollister, that might be something that would be in consideration. But the fact that you know they started the clock yesterday, Colby Parkinson, for 21 days, you know that takes you and gives you time now to see if you, know, you do want to make a trade. I mean, you know, Hollister is good i mean you can see how well he did it last year and the limited time he's been on the field this year but now he is the third tight end and he's in the last year of his contract and he's making 3.2 million a year so that could be a possibility so i think it, you know it gives them some options right now and you know that uh, if if there's a way uh at, at not the expense of the team that john snyder can pick up a draft choice that not might not be a bad idea remember we have bill barnwell on on uh, on Friday, and he th- had Colby, uh, uh, he had Hollister in the trade, a three-way trade with Atlanta, where you, you had Hollister going to Baltimore for a seventh-round pick. KJ Wright has had a real strong start to the season, so the two-five-three wants to know: Do you think he returns to Seattle next year? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I mean. I don't see why not. I mean, again, it's like there's going to be a limitation on the number of guys you can bring back just because, again, the cap's going to be very low. But uh, I think it's a consideration. Another 253 number wants to know, John, do you think Josh Gordon touches the field this year as a Seahawks? I'm starting to question it right now. I'm, I'm, you know, the fact that it's so quiet, and remember, it's like the way this is all set up, uh, you know, technically the league can't even tell the team what's going on. Bizarre. Very bizarre stuff going on. 206 wants to know, John, is Dwayne Haskins available in a trade? And if so, which team do you think goes for him? <laughs> well, he's available in a trade, but the question is going to be, does anybody want to go for him? Because you know, you know, it's, it's not going to cost a lot, I think, because, again, you're trading a first-round contract. But overall, I think that uh, you know it's going to be crazy to see that can go. And again, it's not like he's going to go there and supplant somebody. It has to be maybe an injury or whatever. But uh, I think they are trying to trade him. 
253 coming with it today. They want to know, do you think Will Disley or Greg Olson will get more targets the rest of the season? Mm, I think it's going to be Greg Olson, you know, particularly if they're going to be playing some teams that have zone defenses because he's so good at going into zone and all those different things. So I'd say Olson would get more targets. 360 wants to know, John, if you think Earl Thomas will ever play again. Yeah, I, I can't see why not. I mean, uh, he did file his grievance yesterday, and so uh, trying to get his $10 million that they're trying to not pay him for on the guarantee. And, of course, he did a lot of things that certainly put that guarantee in trouble. So, uh, no, I think that they'll, he'll find a way to get back on the field. 206 wants to know, who do you see winning the AFC Yeah, AFC West? Uh, I'm the guessing AFC, Kansas City. Yeah, it'd be Kansas City. It's like there's not even a debate on that one. Yeah, the Raiders, they beat them the other day, but uh, I don't see them no. surpassing Kansas City no. in the AFC West. How about the AFC East? Which team do you see coming out ahead in that one? In the AFC East, uh, I think it's going to be Buffalo. I mean, you know, particularly with New England losing that game to Denver, that really hurt. And I know when I, you know, started working on some projection things and schedule and everything else, Patriots have a little bit of a tougher schedule. The Bills have been through the toughest part of their schedule. And right now, it still looks like the Bills can get to 10 wins, where right now you have the Patriots at 8. This one from the 253. They want to know, John, where might John Ross end up if Cincinnati does trade him? Mm, You wonder, I mean... You know, teams right now, I think the Raiders might still be looking for some receiver help. I mean, the Jets, they could be looking for some receiver help, but again, it's not going to change anything. You know, uh, I think he would prefer to get to the West Coast because that's where his wife is. And I remember he had to miss some time because uh, she had tested positive for COVID and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, San Francisco, maybe that could be a possibility. 253 wants to know how much cap space do the Seahawks have right now? And if it's enough to take on any salary in a trade, yeah, I mean it's about four million or so, and so they can they can do some things. Uh, they can't do a lot, but uh, you know they got about four million. This one from the two oh six. They want to know, John, could the Jets make Quinn and Williams available? I doubt it. I think that uh, you know they got to keep something <laughs> because again, it's a first round pick, and you know this is a team. I know I have the stat that uh, you know if you look at how many players on their fifty three man roster have been to the Pro Bowl, and the only one right now remaining is Frank Gore. Now again, C.J. Mosley is on the opt out list. He uh, took the year off, and you know they got rid of Le'Veon Bell, and they certainly got. Uh, Read of Jamal Adams and all that stuff. So uh, I think you know this is a talent acquisition game. But I guess all of a sudden, if Quinton Williams gets upset with his playtime, I mean at least it's not going to anger Adam Gaze because it's going to be more on uh, Greg Williams. This one from the let's go with the three six zero. They want to know over under two and a half games the Seahawks lose this season. Uh, over under. I think right now. Uh, if everything goes well in these next five games, they're going to be a, a twelve and four team. That'd be my thought. So I guess was that is that the over? That'd be the over. Yeah, yeah. the over. Yeah. Uh, two five three wants to know, John, how much interest would there be in Sam Darnold if the Jets lose out and dra- have to draft Trevor Lawrence? Uh, there's going to be enough because he's a talent, and if you need a quarterback, particularly a young quarterback, I think you know, it may not be as great of a value as the Jets would want. But I think, I mean, there's enough value there to get a trade. This one comes to us from the five oh nine. Better safety in the NFC West, Buda Baker or Jamal Adams? 
Uh, I think Jamal Adams. I mean, that's the way it was voted by the players on the NFL 100 list. They had Adams as the first, but Buda Baker's right up there. And I think you can see they can both do a lot of the same things. He's a really good one. Uh, Brian Schottenheimer's had some success going upstairs this year. The 360 wants to know, do you think Ken Norton Jr. follows suit just for a new perspective? I don't think so, no, because I think he'd rather be on the field because, remember, it's like he's got such a long relationship with Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright. I mean, he taught them everything to get into the NFL game. I think he'd like rather have the communication on the field, and there's enough people that can get in his ear uh, from upstairs in the coach's box to be able to get word to him if there's something that they see. Few numbers out there, 425 and the 206. They want to know, John, based off of what you heard from Pete yesterday, if you think Jamal Adams will be ready to go this weekend. I'd say it's like uh, 50-50 right now. Again, uh, having the extra time off, I think, gives it. I think I'll have to see how he does in the walkthrough tomorrow to see you know where that fits. But uh, I, I still think he has a chance to play. It's an important game. And this one from the 206, they want to know, with their win on Sunday... Do you still consider the 49ers a threat in the NFC West? Oh, yeah, you have to because, again, uh, they still they have the toughest closing schedule in the National Football League, and that could pull them down. And, again, you'll know in the next six weeks. Now, that helped getting the Rams win, and now it's a matter that uh, these next six games, because you know they're either going to be in or out. If they lose two or three, they're going to be out. And we'll wrap with this one from the 360. It's a good one. They want to know, will the practice squad rules and the uh, extended roster stay as they are next year and beyond? Nobody knows. I think you have to see. You know, this is an exception because, again, with the pandemic, you need players available. We saw that with the Tennessee Titans, uh, certainly with all the guys that they had down on the COVID list. But uh, I, you know, I think that coaches would like to have it. But, again, are the finances going to be able to handle that next year when the cap goes down? So uh, I'd say debatable. That is going to do it for text questions. Okay, and of course, coming up next is our Daily Dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby, John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. It's time for our Daily Dose of the Gras with Dave Grosby. So, David, of course, uh, I guess, you know, you got a big night coming up tonight because you've got uh, the World Series starting. And, of course, you enjoyed certainly all the playoffs the fact that it went seven games in the uh, championship series so what do you expect in this world series uh it's a great matchup john you got uh the dodgers who've been knocking in the door it seems like forever to try and get another championship that they've been waiting on since uh, kurt gibson led them to the one way back when and you got tampa in there for the second time uh interesting pitching matchup with uh, kershaw tonight uh, going up against Tyler Glasnow. Glasnow is a guy who strikes out a lot of guys. He's typical of the players of the era right now. Strikes out a lot, gives up a lot of home runs, which which may hurt him against the Dodgers. Kershaw, we've been through it with him over and over about uh, his uh, postseason lack of performance for the most part. He does have some good outings in there and had a good outing in, in the postseason earlier. His last one wasn't very good. He's picked in the World Series before. He's had some success in these other games where he hasn't had any success. So, uh, it's a, it's a great looking series in my book. Uh, I think Tampa's got a tremendous chance in this one. I think the Dodgers are the favorite and they've been the favorite, uh, since they really acquired Mookie Betts before the season started. But, uh, I wouldn't count the Rays out. They're a very good team. They're not here as a fluke. They got a couple of really hot players and a very deep pitching staff, which is going to be important. So I think we're going to be looking at a seven game series. Hmm, which will be great. Do you, how much pressure is on Clayton Kershaw tonight? 
I think, you know, his, his status has changed a little bit in that, you know, he's not the ace of aces. He's not the best player on the Dodgers. There's, he made a transition this year. He, he doesn't throw at the same velocity he used to, although he threw a little bit harder throughout the course of the season. So I don't think the expectations are what they've been in the past when he would go out there. We would be looking for a seven, seven or eight inning start and shutting him down. I think that the Dodgers right now would be very happy with a, with a six inning performance uh, of, uh, of three runs or less. And uh, they take that to the bank. So uh, not the same kind of pressure on Kershaw that they've been in the past. And they need a good start from him, but it's not as important as it's been. Of course, the interesting part is uh, what was it, uh, the stat that was out there today is that, you know, based on August, the payroll of the uh, Dodgers is $98 yeah. million and Tampa Bay is like $28 million. Yeah, Tampa Bay, you know, maybe overshadowed a little bit by the, by the Oakland A's and maybe because we're out west and, and see the A's more, but, you know, they're, they're the two shining examples of, 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 um, player judgment, a player evaluation and, and having a system that works and that creates great ball players that they can basically replace when, when their contracts come up. And, uh, they've done it effectively. They've been a winning program for, Geez, most of the last decade. So it, it speaks to the most important thing in baseball, which has never been spending money. It's always been player evaluation and, and, and coupled with player development. You have to have both to be successful, and Tampa has both. And, you know, it's the third trip of the world, second trip of the World Series. But as I said, you know, they're in the same division with the Yankees and the Red Sox, teams that spend the, like it's going out of style. And, and for them to be as good as they've been is, is definitely a, definitely a, a testament to Andrew Friedman, one of the best executives in the league. And they got a tremendous organization. And again, I reiterate, and it's something the Mariners are trying to do now, it seems like for the first time in a long time, it's developing players that, that you draft and, and, you know, having the good eye and, and getting them. But boy, development is, is just as important as it is in finding the players. And you got to have both and Tampa has both. And it's, uh, it's, it's just on display for everyone to see here in the World Series. No, which is good. And, of course, <clears throat> as uh, Curtis Rogers brought up earlier today, you know, the Astros, uh, you know, they may be losing some players, and you got Billy Bean leaving the A's. And so with the Rangers not being that good and the Angels not being that good, you know, there's a chance that uh, Seattle can really start to catch up to everybody. Well, there is. I mean, we, we've talked about it. We've, the feeling is, you know, you, you, you've identified uh, basically, and, and again, you know, young players, Look, the Rangers were built around them, and they had a reason to, to have higher expectations, understanding that they lost Corey Kluber at the start of the year. But, you know, young players sometimes have, have fits and starts before they before they get it all figured out. But the Mariners showed about four or five guys who can be a key part of the future. They've got three or four guys that, uh, that they're planning on bringing up next year. So I agree with you, John. I think that their opportunity uh, is in the next couple of years, and, and uh, much like San Diego and the White Sox, both teams – Made the postseason this year. Both teams made a commitment. You know, in the case of San Diego, it kind of surprised everyone when they went for Manny Machado, who was the highest priced free agent out there. But it set a signal that they were ready and they had young players to add around him and, and made it to the postseason. And Chicago stuck with, with young players for the most part and, and, and got them all up there and got ready to go. So, uh, I think that the opportunity may, may well be there for the Mariners. We'll see how they, they address it in the offseason. No doubt. What's your thoughts on the uh, Arizona Cardinal game last night? Just an absolute beatdown of the team that you used to like a lot and don't anymore, the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, it was uh, an impressive win, but Dallas is bad. I mean, you know, they, they obviously they losing Dak Prescott. They, they had the emotional lift that Dalton gave them uh, in the last game to get a win, but 
you know, otherwise it was, uh, was, it was total domination. Arizona, though, you know, would only get too carried away as the Seahawks get ready to play them. I mean, they've got, I think they've got one thing in common with the Seahawks, and that is they haven't beaten anyone with a winning record. Uh, and they lost to Detroit for crying out loud. So, uh, you know, it, it, these are two interesting teams when you look at it. The Seahawks are five and oh, but all their wins against teams with a losing record. Yes, New England has a losing record. So, um, it's, uh, it's, I don't know if it's difficult to tell. We'll see. You know, that's what was maybe, maybe more impressive, even though there's not much of a factor this year in playing on the road is the last two wins have come on the road. Uh, it's an interesting matchup. Kyler Murray presents a lot of problems and, and uh, the Seahawks defense is going to be tested as, as they begin a very important five-game uh, five stretch. No doubt. And, of course, uh, this five-game stretch, and it's interesting because it kind of switches because uh, they face more passing teams in the first five games, even though, again, they face good running backs like Dalvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott and Todd Gurley. But now this is going to be the running phase because, you know, Arizona, San Francisco, and the Rams can all run the football. Yeah, it will be interesting, uh, you know, and uh, all of a sudden Josh Allen and Buffalo have flared out. That does not look like as imposing a game as it did uh, originally. Uh, the Rams, uh, you know, losing to the 49ers who, who, look, you know, when San Francisco's got George Kittle and, and, and some of their pieces, they're, they're still tough. I mean, I understand all the injuries they've had, but they're still tough. Uh, the Seahawks have been pretty good against the run, and, and they, they imagine they'll bring in Harrison to bring in snacks to, to help that run defense, and and uh, look, from from their standpoint, uh, they just need to get Russell Wilson the ball in the fourth quarter with a chance to win, and they've been winning. I mean, it's really a fairly simple formula for the Seahawks at this point during the season. It, it, you know, it's it's letting Russell Wilson uh, take you to the promised land with the weapons they got him in the off season and the improvement of DK Metcalf, and it's worked very well for the first five games. No, it really has, and of course, that's going to be the fun part about this uh, this week and this five-game stretch, and it's really going to determine if the Seahawks are indeed the number one seed, which right now they are, but now you've got the challenge of Tampa Bay, you've got Tennessee, of course, you don't have to worry about that because it's in the other conference, Pittsburgh and Baltimore still strong, but you know, right now, uh, if you can go three and two, four and one, you're in really good shape. Yeah, I mean, the toughest part of your schedule is, is, is for the most part over. I mean, you got division games almost exclusively left, bunch of game. I mean, you still got the Jets, you still got Washington, you still got the Giants. They're awful. Philadelphia is playing terrible. Um, you know, and I mentioned Buffalo who lost to Kansas City last night and, and just Josh Rosen has looked, has looked awful. I mean, all of a sudden the tougher games, toughest games you have look like they're division games. That's beyond the next five. That, that's looking at the next ten. So, uh, there's certainly with that five and zero start the opportunity for a twelve and four, thirteen and three sort of season, very much in a realm of possibility with just a slight improvement on defense. No doubt, and of course, uh, David, that's our daily dose of the Gros with Dave Grosby. <clears throat> Enjoy the World Series tonight, John. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Thanks, buddy. All right, sounds good. And of course, I'll be back tomorrow at ten. John Clayton Show, seven ten, ESPN Seattle.